Well, it's uh, good to be back here. I was with you a couple of years ago and most encouraged when somebody greeted me at the door and told me what I preached on. If it lasts as long as that, then uh, maybe preaching is uh, very much uh, something that encourages those who, us who spend time in God's Word, hoping that what we have to say uh, gets a response from the people. And today, this morning, and in the second service, I want to cover a number of things which have been touched on already. Uh, we've had thoughts from Hebrews about the cloud of witnesses who see what was going on down below here on earth. Reference has been made to those who are in prison for Christ's sake. Just a few weeks ago I was up near the Taliban on the borders of Afghanistan and Pakistan. The church where I was preaching was then visited by terrorists. A security guard was killed. And up the road where we were planning a conference, 100 people were carried into eternity. I'm not talking about 10 years ago. I'm talking about my own experiences within the last few weeks. I shall be making reference to them. And also homing in on what's become the passion of my the remaining years of my life, and that is reaching the greatest unreached group in the world, which is not the Muslim community, nor the Hindu community, nor the Buddhist community. The greatest unreached people's group are boys and girls under the age of 16. I'm going to speak to you in the second service on Jesus Christ's theology of the child, as I understand it. Sometimes I find myself with huge congregations, sometimes I'm in the backwards. Of the two, actually, I prefer the latter. And I want to introduce you to some people who will never come to a church like this, but they're part of the body of Christ. I happened to be with Mother Teresa some time before she died. One of the things that I learned from her was not just the value of a child, but the value of those who don't relate to normal society. In the world in the 21st century, where there are 2.2 billion people who live in it, 2.2 billion children who live in it, and 1 billion are undernourished or uneducated or don't have access to what you dear Americans call restrooms, what we call loos, or clean water. How do you understand the book of Matthew? Very often I teach my students that you find that one word becomes pivotal in the understanding of a particular book. Romans, for example, the one word is therefore... Paul sets out an argument, and therefore, as a result of this. And when you go to Matthew's Gospel, in the first chapter, you come across the comment of Joseph, who doesn't need to find a name for the child that Mary has born. You will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. You go to the 18th chapter of Matthew's Gospel, 
almost the middle part of the gospel. And the blessed Christ is predicting how to behave in church, the church that he will find, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am with them. And then you go to the final verse in the gospel, the great commission, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel, baptizing men in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them what I have taught you. And lo, I am with you always. The beginning, with you. Halfway through the gospel, with you. The end of the gospel, with you. Mark wrote, or rather Matthew wrote the gospel in order, if I might make a word up. I don't mind doing this in American society because what you have done to the English language is replete with a vocabulary that we never had, that you have latched down and we're grateful for greater expressions that have come your side of the pond, as your pastor put it. The word I want to give you is witness. With is a preposition. Witness is a noun. I want to speak on the witness of God. Because within the area of the world, where the church is under the jackboot of persecution, it is only an appreciation of the witness of God that can enable Christians in Syria, Christians in Iran, Christians in Iraq, Christians in Somalia, and so I could continue listing the number of places where Christians suffer for their faith. The only way they can cope is by entering into what I call the witness of God. Moses was the pastor of Israel, and in the wilderness he wanted to quit. And the Lord said to him, I'm going to extend your ministry. He describes his congregation as a, gainsay as a gainsaying congregation. I'm quoting from the authorized version. A disobedient, gainsaying congregation, which means that Moses as a pastor was troubled. And God says, continue, and Moses says, not likely, unless... Unless you are with me. He realized that any success in the ministry in the future would depend upon his awareness of the presence and the enabling of God. Tom and Karen took me to see the film Son of God yesterday. And one of the things that is dominant in that film is not just the person of Christ but the people who come alongside him in terms of the disciples, not just the men, but there were also women who were followers of the Lord Jesus. And there is a sense in which you can work out the experience of the followers of Jesus by introducing the preposition, with. They started out without him. Peter was fishing, Matthew was playing fast and loose with the Jewish authorities and the Roman authorities. All of the disciples that were to become disciples were at that point without Jesus. And then the blessed day came when the Christ of God walked by the sand of the Sea of Galilee and he caused a bunch of four 
to follow him. He calls Matthew to follow him. He calls Thomas to follow him. Twelve men and an unknown number of women following him, with him, with him month in, month out, with him in Galilee, with him in Judea, with him. Thirty-six delicious months, they would be with him. And then the sun went out. He's arrested in the garden. And he's taken before Pontius Pilate and before the high priests. He's no longer communicado as far as the disciples are concerned. He was with them, but now he's without them. And then the most awful thing happens. Not only is he on trial for his life, but the death sentence is passed. And from the darkness that covered the scene of crucifixion came a cry that was blacker than the blackest darkness. Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But within the context is the disciples. They are without him. An old Puritan has a hymn. My midnight is thy smile withdrawn. Luther said, Lord, send me pestilence. Send me ill health. Send me poverty. Send me unpopularity. But take not your Holy Spirit from me. I cannot cope unless, unless I have a conscious awareness of you. And three days later, the most remarkable thing happens. Jesus is raised from the dead in the power of an endless life. The news communicated to a great, great granddaughter of Eve, so to speak. How choice of Jesus to have his revelation made to a woman in a scene that suggests the rebirth of Eden. Cursing came into the world in a garden. And the lead agent was Eve. And here there's another garden. And there's a daughter of Eve. And she is selected as being the choice woman in all the world to receive the intelligence that Jesus Christ is back. Go tell my brothers. Once they were without me, then I was with them. Then I was taken away from them. But I'm going to be with them again. And with them he was. He reveals himself, not just to Mary, but ultimately to all the disciples, and then to even larger groups. With them, with them, with them. The sun starts to shine, the birds start to, to, to sing. Life is recovered from what it had been. And now we've got the precious experience of the Lord Christ being with us always. But 40 days elapses, you remember. And here he is on the Mount of Ascension. The disciples, just 11 of them, are there. 
And he indicates that he's going away. And that to them must have been a great terror. And, and not only has he got this bad news, but he's going to load them with the responsibility that they cannot bear on their shoulders. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Continue to do what I commenced. And with respect we say, Lord, that gamble is too great even for you to make. This bunch of men who were acting so immaturely like kids in a playground just a few weeks ago. Trying to work out who was going to be the greatest of the kingdom. Indicating that they hadn't really understood your pulse beat. You're going to commit and commission to them the task of continuing to do what you have commenced. It's impossible. But not so. Uh, not impossible if you realize that what he's telling them to do is not from their own initiative. Preach what I have preached to you. Teach what I have taught you. Communicate what I have communicated to you. Go into the whole world and proclaim the gospel. And if you speak in my name, I will be with you. With you. With you. And you move into the Acts of the Apostles and my preposition becomes fleshed out even more in the experience of the disciples. How is it that this little bunch turns the world upside down? How is it that Peter, who's no orator, no natural orator, suddenly finds the ability to communicate what he's learned from the Lord during the last 36 months? And the answer is that when he goes away, he will return. He cannot be corporeally present. He can't be in Galilee and in Judah at the same time. Not as he was before the resurrection, but after the resurrection. Returning to heaven. As the Father sent the Son, so the Son sends the Spirit. And living within the community of the disciples, within the individual heart, is the Spirit of God. I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. The life that I live in the flesh, I live by my faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. I said to the pastor of the largest church in Peshawar, that's the main city, you remember, on the way through the Khyber Pass up to Kabul in Afghanistan. And I said to him almost stupidly, are you under pressure? He said, not unless you mean every day. <laughs> and then he said, would you like to see the bullet marks around the church? And then as I mentioned, three weeks later they're attacked. Just up the road from where I was was the Taliban. We got a conference in preparation in Peshawar. And the Anglican church, some dist walking distance away, 100 members killed, taken into eternity. H how do you cope in Peshawar? How do you cope in Kabul? How do you cope when, if you're the pastor of the leading church in Tehran, that is the capital of Iran, you turn up one morning as they did two months ago, to find the door locked. And the pastor's arrested. 
and put in jail. How do you cope? If you find yourself victim to AIDS, the sort of 21st century equivalent of uh, leprosy. There are more AIDS victims in India than the whole of Africa. The needs of that edge of society are ginormous. What do you say to the leper as you touch the eyes or where the eyes should have been, the cavities, as you touch the palm of the hand that has no fingers? What in the name of God do you state to the leper? That it is possible for you, my friend, to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour. It is possible for you to have an experience of His grace. It is possible for you to have the witness of God within the society in which you find yourself. That's a message. It's not a message that just is communicated by word. It's a message that's enjoyed by experience. I sometimes tell my students in various parts of the world, I have no interest in theology at all. If theology is just understood as a classical subject, studying the word of God. Don't misunderstand my next statement, I'll qualify it. Or else you'll jump with goosebumps. Theology alone is not enough. The word of God alone is not enough. The word of God leads us to the God of the word. Our experience of the word, in terms of intellectual understanding, has to take us into an experience of God's presence. When Moses stood before the bush that burned but was not consumed, he not only had God articulate who he is, Moses has a consciousness of this God, so he takes his shoes from, from off his feet. He knows. He knows. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The witness of God is in Psalm 23. It's throughout the whole of the Psalms, the book of Psalms. It's anticipated in the Old Testament. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. With you. With you. With you. That's what the Christ says. I'm going to be with you. Even though physically I'm no longer present, you'll feel my presence. You will know my enabling. With you in sickness, with you in health, with you un in unpopularity, with you when you're popular, with you in jail, with you when you're free, with you. I, I said when preaching on the borders of Armenia and Russia three years ago, trying to expound missiological principles from the book of Jonah, I'm into the second chapter. Jonah is completely on his own, in the belly of a big fish. And I'm talking to these 50 or so Iranian leaders. And through my handsome young interpreter who I would love to have been had as my son uh, and I make this statement I remember a comment in a book of, on religious philosophy religion 
is what a man does with his solitariness. Now, as a definition, it is qualifying. But there is some stark truth in that test. Religion is what you do when you are on your own. You don't have a Bible. You don't have music. You don't have a church. You don't have fellowship. You don't have a son. Hey, come on, be real. That's the experience of millions in our world. My message about witness is a vitally important one. I dare risk being boastful in saying that. For us to grasp, religion is what you do with your solitariness. And my young interpreter goes back to Tehran and the religious police hound him. And he's taken before one of the religious courts and they give him six years. And half of the people who were at my conference, caught by the police, find themselves with differing tenures of imprisonment. With you. With you. With you. I just had a letter, at least a little while ago, written by my friend, my interpreter. Can you pass me that? Be put there. That's where it is, no? Forget the search, I've got it. Uh, no, I've got it, thank you, okay. Listen to this. Thank you. My interpreter manages to smuggle a letter through the little crack in an aperture of the place where he's able to speak to his brother. They can see one another, but they can only speak through telephone. But he notices that there's a crack, so he pops the letter through the crack. This is the letter, written in code. Dear Dad, please accept my warmest greetings from the heart of prison in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's more than ten months that I've not been able to hear your loving voice. But I feel the fragrance of your prayers as a cool breeze on my heart that together with your fatherly love strengthens me from afar. I've gone through difficult days, but more than ever I have seen myself in the bosom of the Lord. Often I've been insulted, humiliated, accused, but I've never doubted my identity in Christ. 361 days I spent in a room with closed doors, and for days did not see the sunlight but the mercies of the Lord were made new every morning. I have many things to say, but I like to say how much I love you. The narrow way that I am passing through I see as a cup that my beloved has given me, and I will drink it to the end, whatever that end might be. What really matters is that I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. This is possibly the sweetest truth of my life, that I am his and he is mine. Remember he's writing from Iran. The same place as Habakkuk conducted his ministry. And he finishes up with a quotation from the book of Habakkuk, written so many hundreds of years ago, as summarizing his experience. Please convey my greetings to all the saints. To all dear brothers and sisters who have been praying for me and my family, and tell them, quote, 
In our land, the fig tree does not blossom. The produce of olives have failed. The flock is cut off from the fold, yet we rejoice in the Lord and take joy in the God of our salvation, because neither the walls, nor the barbed wires, nor the prison, nor suffering, nor loneliness, nor enemies, nor pain, nor even death separates us from the love of God and from each other. Not ten years ago, not a hundred years ago, not someone that I've read about, but my interpreter. Going to all the world, and I'll be with you. But Lord, the Muslim police have got me. I'm still with you. Lord, there's 300 days have gone by and I haven't seen the sun. I'll be with you. Tom made reference to Ceausescu's fall in Romania. When he was killed, I got an invitation to speak in Bucharest in the auditorium built for him to address the masses with Marxist philosophy. And in between services, I had meetings with politicians from Romania and academics. And I said, Richard Wormbrand and Joseph Tom, Tom being a great Baptist preacher, Wormbrand being, I believe, Lutheran, had made such an impression on my life. And as I mentioned that, the Minister of Religious Affairs got up and said, I'd like to apologize on behalf of the Romanian government for the way we treated those guys. And later on, I met Wormbrand, an old man, invited him to my pulpit. We had to help him down the stairs from my office through into the sanctuary and down into the pulpit and into the same area as Spurgeon's church. And I said, Dr. Wormbrand, you've written a book, Tortured for Christ. I said, but you've written an even greater one called Sermons in Solitary Confinement. You have one chapter which says, I danced with the rats. I, I said, there was an aperture in your cell and, and you, you sense the, the, the sunlight coming through occasionally, and particularly on a Sunday morning. Was it an exaggeration or hyperbole? Did you dance with the rats? And I sat down. And for one hour he told us about his experiences of God in solitariness. He preached to himself, the member of his own congregation, Sunday after Sunday. He's got a phenomenal memory. And he produced this little book, Sermons in Solitary Confinement. I will be with you. With you. It occurred in the first century. It's a present condition in the 21st century. Religion is what a man does when he's on his own. Religion is what a man does to try to communicate the gospel to others. One, and with this I close, one of the great pleasures I had in life was to sift the preaching of Martin Lloyd-Jones in the same basis as the preaching of A.W. Tozer had been sifted. The latter gave birth to a book, Gems from A.W. Tozer. I produced Gems from Lloyd-Jones. I put this book together. It's been printed in its thousands and we use the prophets for the letters and for our children. We have orphanages in various parts of the world. Lloyd-Jones says in one of his comments, when we stand before the Lord, we would have wished that we had been more aware 
of the needs of other people in communicating the gospel. I bring that as a challenge to you. You're concerned to communicate to others the great and glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, to know his presence. I brought some of those books, some accounts of the work of Acts to which Tom made reference there in the foyer, in the vestibule of the church. I never charge for books, but if you give money, I send them to the lepers. But I want you to take away from you this morning the concept of the witness of God. Matthew, you'll call his name Jesus. You will call his name Emmanuel. He'll save his people from their sins. Emmanuel, God with us. Where two or three are gathered together, or when you are on your own before that final moment when you slip into eternity, he'll be with you. As far as the church is concerned down the centuries, he'll be with us. When I stand before politicians in Pakistan or India or Africa where we're putting together a conference on Islam in Nairobi in the June of this coming year, we stand in the witness of God, in the authority of God, knowing the empowering of His Spirit. And that's what enables us to get through. And that's what will enable you in your life as you try to live for Him. He's with you. Never leave you. Never forsake you. Always there. The greatest friend you'll ever have. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace. Grace unsought, grace unmeasured. We thank you for folks who hold the cross high in the prisons in the Middle East. We bring to you the Coptic Church in Egypt and the 80 or so estimated martyrs in the last few months. We bring to you the Christian community in Saudi Arabia. We bring to you the Christians in Lebanon. We bring to you the Christians in Israel. And we look for the day of the fulfillment of prophecy when there shall be a spiritual highway from Assyria to Egypt, from Egypt to Israel, when you will number the Egyptians and the Assyrians as well as the Israelis amongst the people for whom Christ died. Help us to believe that you're working in our world and help us to ask more. More of your Spirit's grace for those who are impoverished. More of your help for those whose little bellies are bloated, children who are so desperately in need. More help for those who are leprous. More help for those who cannot speak for themselves and enable your church to fulfill its obligation of illustrating Christ in all his love and compassion in the 21st century. Lord, give us an experience of your witness every day, every week, until time is no more and we step from the threshold of this world into that of eternity. Amen.